Hey, sir, how you doing? You ready to go, Reg? Good. Let's just let's get right to it. No lollygagging. I'll give you the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. Give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. All right? Number 378. Here we go. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget, listening is only a one part of your job and your responsibility. A listen. B, get out there and tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion, oh, much appreciated. If you like what you hear, you go to WGNRadio.com, you hit the prompt for podcast, then you hit the prompt for this podcast, and my goodness. What you will find are just podcast after podcast after podcast going back years. They're not all there. There are some gigabyte or schmigabyte, you know, storage constraints, but there's a lot there. So just keep scrolling down and keep listening. It's always good to know where we were so you know where we're going. We've been going strong now since May of 2016. This is episode 378. So I recently told you uh, a few podcasts ago. That's why I always say go back and listen to the past so you know where we're going in the present. Happens quite often. This is an ongoing dialogue between us and so like every good friendship and good conversation there's callbacks to things we've talked about before new information new insights or just fun to go back and remember when we talked about this so it's always good to go back and listen to some podcasts from the past if you didn't or you haven't heard a few weeks ago i went to cooperstown new york the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Being a lifetime baseball fan, I've always wanted to visit the Hall of Fame uh, and see some of the memorabilia they have from uh, probably my favorite sport, one that I played many years, have followed, as I said, since I was a very young kid, and uh, see the not only the memorabilia, but, of course, the hollowed, hall of plaques where all the inductees about 300 or so or more it's about 310 320 i'm not sure 330 i should know that i just visited there of the plaques of the people that are inducted into the hall of fame uh dating back to the first induction class that included of course babe ruth to the most recent that just included two members this summer Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, and everyone in between. 
had a great time with one of the friend of mine who's also a big baseball fan. So uh, I, I would I would suggest if you go to the Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame, whatever your favorite sport is, go with a fellow fan. You know, I think you need to go somebody that can fully appreciate what it is. If you go with somebody just that, you know, oh, by the way, let's stop here. Uh, you'll have a good time, but we had a great time interacting with the memorabilia and, and bringing back our own stories and our own memories, and we shared those with each other, my friend and I. So uh, that made it even more fun because baseball especially is, as I've said many times, it really it thrives because of its history. It markets itself on its history. It plays on that history. And so much of the memorabilia in that Hall of Fame, in addition to the plaques of the, of the players who are inducted, uh, the, the, the actual building is filled with some memorabilia that, uh, that will immediately strike to your, if you're a fan, longtime fan, it will strike to your memories and bring back those, those warm fuzzies of childhood and, and going out and playing baseball or watching the game and whatever you did. So I would suggest that if you are going to any kind of Hall of Fame, I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame too, uh, I would suggest go with someone that is a big fan. If you're a big fan, and you, I think you would have to be if you wanted to go to that Hall of Fame, first of all. But make sure you go someone, go with someone that is also a fan so you guys can share the, the experience uh, in a more uh, meaningful way. What I want to talk about today has nothing to do with the Baseball Hall of Fame. In fact, the only thing that, it, that the Hall of Fame has a connection to is the mode of transportation we took to get there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I always take detours, but I'll get you there. I'll get you to my topic. So, a friend of mine and I went to, uh, flew into Albany, 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 I'm not sure how you say it. It's probably Albany. Flew into Albany, and the Hall of Fame is about an hour or so from there. And it's in this small little town, and uh, you pretty much have to rent a car. Uh, you certainly could drive there from wherever you're at, too. But there will be a point where you get off the main uh, highway, and you go through winding rural country roads. There's really no other way to get there. I don't know. Now, maybe they have some tours and tour buses that go there. I don't know. Perhaps they do. But um, so we flew into Albany. We were just there for a day. We stayed, stayed overnight, but uh, we, we stayed there for about four hours. So we flew into Albany, rented a car, and uh, went right there. Went right to the Hall of Fame. Landed. Got there around 11, 30, 12. Landed. Rented a car, drove there, got about there about one one thirty, and stayed there till about four four thirty. Got something to eat, and uh, you know we did. You know we just went out in the evening or so. But my point is, it was just a quickie, but it was really fun. Had a great time. 
But the mode of transportation was also a byproduct little story. So as fun as the Hall of Fame was, as I said, that's what's so interesting about going on a vacation. So many times you have your itinerary planned and you can plan everything you want. But then once you actually get into and get onto that vacation, that's many times the stories you come back with have nothing to do with the main reason that you went there. You will certainly come back with stories about your trip and the sites that you saw. Maybe those were the reasons. I recently went to Egypt, right? Yeah, there were some great memories and stories of seeing the pyramids and all the temples and all that stuff. But there were also other stories I came back with that had nothing to do with any of the sites, but but happened in the natural progression of being with people and going places and being on tours or being on yourself, the human interaction. That you can't plan for. You can set an itinerary. You can make a list of all the sites you want to see and say this is going to be a great vacation, and hopefully it always is. But a lot of times you will come back from that vacation with memories of of people you met or of of events or or uh, incidents that happened while you were there that had nothing to do with the actual vacation. And a lot of times those are the most memorable things. Things will happen uh, that you can't plan for, but they become lifetime memories as well as the sights and sounds that you went to initially for. And that happened here in Cooperstown, uh, going to the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame, even though it was a very quick little jaunt, came back the next day, uh, came back with another interesting sideline in addition to the fun that we had at the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we land at the Albany International Airport. Let me just say, I'm not sure what, I don't know what is the definition, what allows or makes an airport an international airport. When you think of an international airport, right? I mean, you think of a of a big, bustling location that's just filled with people and planes everywhere and multiple gates and multiple terminals right international anytime you hear that term it's international it means there's in theory i would think there's planes coming from all over the world you know this is big stuff international anytime we use the word international it's always elevates the meaning and elevates the importance you go to the grocery store, right? And there's the cereal aisle, and there's the coffee aisle, and there's the baking aisle, and and but there's the international aisles now. Ooh, the international aisles. You didn't notice that, right? It's still food, still an aisle, but when you walk into the international aisle, it even looks different. It feels different. It doesn't feel the same as the bread aisle, does it? Th- th- I don't even know how they do that, but there's a look to it. There's, there's different signs. They just, when you're in the international aisles at the grocery store, 
they're different. They're, they're, they, they, there's this little mystique to them as opposed to just the aisle seven, the pop aisle, right? Pop aisle is probably the, the most boring. It's just rows of cans and plastic bottles. <laughs> Many different colors, so I'll give you that. It's, it's colorful, but... You know, but oh my goodness, when you go into the international aisle, we've got the little signs and some stores even have some kinds of, uh, of light, uh, effects that shine down on the floor. Oh, you're in the international aisle. And when you land at an airport, it's the, you know, O'Hare International Airport, LaGuardia International Airport. I have to be honest with you. I was shocked when I read it was the Albany International Airport. I've been to some of the biggest airports in the world. Literally. Heathrow. Rome. Huge, huge airports. Planes coming from literally all over the world. I would, And I've been in some of the smallest airports in the world. I've been to an airport in Chihuahua, Mexico, which was barely an airstrip. <laughs> I felt like I was in Casablanca movie or something. So I've been in some of the biggest international airports in the world, and I've been in some of the smallest airports you'll ever find, both in the United States and other places. I would have put the, the Albany International Airport on the, the, the lower scale. I don't know what makes it international. There was one point on our way home, we had a, a, a late afternoon flight, and at one point, a lot like in the, in the early afternoon, late morning, early afternoon, we got there early, there was a lot of planes were taking off, and so there, were, there was a lot of activity and people. And then all of a sudden, around 2 o'clock or something, my friend and I were talking, and I just happened to, to look the other way down the whole aisle of the terminal, and there wasn't a soul in the main aisle of the terminal by the gates. There wasn't a soul. I, I, I turned to my friend and said, look at, look at, there's no one here. <laughs> Did you ever see an airport like this? There was no one there. And I have seen airports like that. But they're in small towns or they're small little markets. Albany is the capital of New York State, ironically, which is strange when you think of how far it is from New York. New York or far from the coast. I'm not sure why Albany became the state capital because when the state was formed, obviously the population was around the coast, the water. That's where all of our major cities always developed historically around waterways because that was the, mo the main mode of transportation to get supplies in. So most major cities are all based around water. That's the way they became major metropolises of trade and activity and jobs. There's always a waterway. 
There's not a big waterway in, in Albany. <laughs> and it's so far from New York, a couple hours driving, and that's with you driving a car. Back when it was established as the state capital, I mean, they were, they were driving with horses. It was, it was a very rural area today in 2023. What must it have been in the 18 and 1900s before we had cars? So I don't know what the design, I don't know how they, they, they bestow the designation or the title for any airport as international. Now, my friend and I were talking about this because especially when we when you said you could literally have driven a truck down the the main aisle of this terminal and not hit anyone. It was that empty for a good hour and a half. Then planes started to come in and 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 leave again and but there was this this kind of dull time for a good hour and a half where there was no one in this airport. You don't think of an international airport of ever not being busy, right? You just think of it like a beehive. But anyway, it was the weekday. Okay, I'll give you that. But still, to me, an international airport is is busy like a beehive seven days a week, 27 hours a day. So the only thing that we could come up with is there is... You know, uh, Albany is somewhat close to Canada. It's close to the to, to the to the border. In fact, when we were driving on the major highway, it was interesting. You see these the signs and saying, "Okay, like you know, New York, Boston, go this way," and then Albany, Montreal. It's like whoa. So you get a sense that you are. I mean, I don't know how close we were. You still could have been a couple hundred miles away, but at least the sign said Montreal. Here in Chicago, where I live, you know, it doesn't say uh, take, you know, get off at 90 to go to Toronto. <laughs> you know, we're not that far in terms of geography where we're at, but it's still, you know, it's 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 a good ways away. So I guess we weren't too far. So then we were trying to think, well, maybe... The reason that the Albany International Airport got its designation was because perhaps they take in flights a lot from Canada. Maybe a lot of Canadians or people going to Canada come through Albany to go to different um, destinations in the United States. So maybe it gets its international designation because of its proximity to Canada, which, yes, yes, is a foreign country. Sometimes we, we consider it almost a, a satellite of the United States, but it is a foreign country. And so I guess in theory or in reality, if, if planes fly in, because the runways didn't even look that big, but I guess if planes come in, from Canada to Albany, and then people make connections from in Canada to go to other places, then perhaps that's what gave Albany its international airport designation. May I mean, once again, I don't know that much about airports and how that's considered, but we're just trying to figure out because this certainly did not have the look and feel and size 
of an international airport as you would expect it, as I have experienced, and my friend has too, um, of a big, expansive, hustling and bustling planes flying in from all corners of the earth. That was not happening at the Albany International Airport. But that's not my story. (laughs) Another little side note. Another little interesting story that I never could have... I could never have come back with that insight if I hadn't gone on this trip to Cooperstown. That's what I said. I never thought I would I would be debating the international uh, designation of the Albany Airport when I was planning this trip to Cooperstown, but yet here I am. So that's why you go. That's why you go on a vacation. It's not the only reason, but you come back with interesting stories. Hopefully that was interesting. So now we, we land at the Albany International Airport. And we go to the rent the car rental because, as I said, there you, you have to rent a car to get there. And uh, so we go to the rental, and my friend rented a car. And um, so I'm waiting, and uh, he gets done at the counter, comes back, and he's like, we have an electric car. And I'm like, oh, Really? I've never driven in an electric car. Up to this point, I have not driven in an electric car. And I asked him, I said, have you ever driven? Have you ever, because he was driving, have you ever driven an electric car? And he's like, no. (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, this should be interesting. Um, And it was so funny because uh, I think he didn't ask for an electric car. When he got up to the counter, the guy said, well, we have an electric car. So he said, why not? Sure. You know, might as well, you know, give it a give it a ride. Can't be that hard, right? There was some concern about the charging of the car, right? I mean, you know, this is a whole new thing. I mean, you know, you, you can always stop at a gas station, but... I don't know. Do you know if I asked you right now, where is there a charger for your electric car? Could you tell me five places? And here we are in a whole, we're in an area. We don't even know where we're going. We're going to a rural area on top of it. So he said, you know, I'm, I'm well, what about a charge? Am I going to be able to, to get where I'm going? And the guy said, well, where are you going? He said, well, we're going to go to the, the baseball hall of fame and we're staying over here in Schenectady. Honeymooners will remember the Schenectady reference. And so will Dick Van Dyke fans. I'm just going to leave it at that. If you're a fan of the Dick Van Dyke show and a fan of the Honeymooners, when I say Schenectady, you should know what I'm talking about. If you do, you're, gonna, you're laughing right now. If not, no, no harm, no foul. So I said, oh, yeah, no problem. Don't worry about it. Uh, this charge, you can go th- uh, 320 miles or something like that on a full charge. So you should have no problems. So, okay. I think my friend was a little skeptical. I mean, now, you know, now this became, and admittedly so, a kind of a little concern because if, you know, that's fine if we go back and forth. But what if we decided to take some detours or go somewhere else in the time we had some free time 
are we going to, you know, now you get start worried because who knows where there's a charger, right? But anyway, he said yes, and so we get into the electric car, and it was an interesting experience right from the get-go. As soon as he, now once again, I don't even know what kind of car, it wasn't a Tesla, it was a Polestar, I never heard of that. I mean, you know, once again, you know, this is going to be a whole different world. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the the car companies are going to start making electric cars and already have. If you see commercials on TV now, especially for luxury cars, because they're still a little expensive. So the luxury car uh, business are probably the first ones that are going to be jumping in with the electric car. Uh, I see BMW commercials and you know for electric cars and 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 things like that. Uh, but electric cars are here, which is finally the point of my podcast today. <laughs> and that is, are we ready for the electric car revolution? I don't know. It's coming. The question is, are we ready for it? So we go, and I think it was a Polestar. Never, once again, never heard of that. I mean, tech companies. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we are used to hearing of the major car companies. We've been raised. They have all been established. Most major car companies that we know of have all been established either before or during our lifetime. Even some of the newer ones, like Kia and you know, and Hyundai, they're still owned by bigger manufacturers. But you know, the major ones, General Motors and Ford and and Honda and all these other I mean, they've been around for the most part now, I would think, before many people were even born. But now in the electric car world. You're going to have different names. Like you said, Tesla, right? That's a, that's a brand new company that's making electric cars. I never heard of Polestar. Don't even know what it is. But they make electric cars, apparently. Who the heck knew that? So it's going to be interesting moving forward. Not only are we going to see electric cars from the established car makers that we have known our entire lives, like Ford, GM, BMW, every all all you know, uh, Mercedes. I'm sure they all are going to have electric cars. Many of them have already, you know, hybrid cars. But as the years go on, especially legislatively, governments around the world, especially in here in the United States, are saying, you know, no more gas cars by 2030. I think is the last the last goal. I think that's completely pie in the sky i think california has that is has that law that no gas gas using you know combustible engine cars will be sold in the state of california in 2030 do we realize that that's like six and a half years from now are we really ready to change our entire dominant mode of transportation in six years 
you know, America, as I've said many times, we don't do anything in moderation. We go from one end to the other, from zero to 140. We never go in the middle on so many issues. We do things one way that are completely wrong. We, it takes us a while to see how wrong they are and then to correct the wrong. We go in the other direction all off the charts and we try to expedite to make up for the decades or even centuries of being wrong. Which is also wrong to do because you can't, Achieve that. And then there's all different problems and issues that arise from doing that too quick. We try to erase our mistakes and we try to correct them overnight. I think it's enough that we recognize our mistakes, learn from them, make sure we don't continue to make them, and move forward in a logical way without the mistakes of the past. Now, that may take longer, but haven't we learned yet that the long game is the best game? But once again, in the United States, I don't know if we can. We are so attention deficit and we are so about immediate gratification we we just don't we just don't look we want it now you know we we don't look at the bigger picture it's our it's our it's our biggest fault and we do get there sometimes but then look at look at the space race for instance oh we you know john kennedy laid down the gauntlet he never saw it happen sadly but you know, in 1961, he said we are, we are going to go uh, to to have a man land on the moon. In this decade, that's how he said decade with his <laughs> his boss and that. We will land a man on the moon in this decade era, <laughs> and we did just barely six months or so to spare in that decade of the 60s. But we did. We got it done, right? So that's that's amazing. It took us, you know, hundreds of years to even it took man centuries to get the technology to even fly with the Wright brothers. And then it took us 60 years to get from the rudimentary Wright brothers flight to the moon. But then what did we do once we got there? We didn't know what to do. We got there, and then and now it's been 50 years. And what do we have to show for it? I guess that flag is still up there. What was the long, what was the long term? We didn't think about a long term. We just thought about get to the moon. Then we got there, and we didn't know what else to do. So now everybody is very environmentally conscious, climate change conscious, and we got to get rid of we got to get rid of gas cars. 2030, they're gone. (laughs) Really? 
It sounds silly even when you say it. I guarantee you that we will not be completely free of gas cars by 2030. I guarantee you there will be gas cars driving around in 2050. We set these ridiculous goals, but they're not realistic. Look at the long term. Isn't it just enough that we have finally realized that perhaps after hundreds of years that maybe we can do better in terms of the design of the, the, the main transportation vehicle or, or mode of transportation that we have? Isn't that a great start and that we've got companies now developing this? That's good. That 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 realization and that work toward that is a great accomplishment. But we have to put dates on it and we have to rush things in order to make some arbitrary goal that doesn't mean anything and can have bad repercussions and bad results because of our haste. And that's the biggest problem. Now, I'll tell you, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not against electric cars. As I said, it was, it was a very cool experience. From the minute we got into it, my friend opened up the drivers, um, and I don't know how the, if all electric cars work this way because I'd never been in one before, never drove in one before. My friend opens the door, and the car turned on. There was no key. There was no push button. You know, like now, I mean, we thought that was a big deal, say, five or ten years ago, where, you know, you didn't get a key anymore to start your car. You just push the button. Now that's it's fairly standard. But that was like, wow, what a, what a huge change. You don't have more car keys. To start the car, you push a button. And now you do that like you've been doing it forever. But we did used to stick the key in the car. Do you remember that? I do. There's some people that never will remember that. Younger people, they've they've only seen a car that starts by pushing a button. But this electric car that we had from the rental car place, he opened the door and it turned out we were like, we got in the car and it seemed like it was on. Boy, those electric cars are quiet. Well, because there's no, there's nothing to make noise, I guess. It's a battery, right? I mean, when you, when you use your remote control, you don't hear it working. Right? I mean, battery-operated things are pretty quiet. (laughs) So it makes sense that an electric car would be pretty quiet. Very quiet. So we sat down, and and he said, I think think the car is on. And the dashboard was was semi-lit up. And I said, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Couldn't tell by the, the sound of the car. So quiet. So he's, you know, trying to get used to you know, the car itself, as you do in any time you rent a car, you know, you know, make sure the seat is adjusted, make sure the, the, the mirrors are adjusted and you know where the lights are. You know, you, you, you understand how the, the gear shift works. Well, there's no gear shift. I don't think there's a little knob. He had to learn how to use the knob. It was almost like a joystick, which makes sense because that's an electric car 
and a joystick is an electric contraption for a video game. But he sort of had to figure out the way, oh, okay, well, that's how you get him to drive. That's how you get him to park. And, and then once we got started, as he was driving, he was saying, you know, when I take my foot off the gas, the gas, there is no gas, right? I don't even, that's a good question too. What is that pedal called? What is that pedal called? In an electric car. It can't be the gas pedal anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not the gas pedal. There's no gas. We have to change the terminology of that pedal. The brake is still the brake. But what, what, what? in an electric car, I ask you, what is the gas, in quotes, gas pedal now called? The accelerator pedal? We can't call it the gas pedal anymore. Get your foot off the gas. In an electric car, antiquated. Makes no sense. You can't say it. If you do, you should be, you, you should be ejected out of the car. You can't use that terminology anymore. Gas pedal. <laughs> but we were neophytes, so we still use the term. <laughs> but he said, when I take my foot off the gas, which... At the time, it didn't even occur to either of us that that was the wrong term. It just occurred to me that right now. He said, the car's already slowing down. He said, we drove for, a, for you know, a, a whole day. We drove several hundred miles, I would assume. And he only used the brake. He actually touched the brake, I believe, one time. And that was because a car had cut in, and he had to stop the car quickly. But as we drove on the highway, and we went to stoplights, as soon as he lifted his foot off the accelerator, I guess that's what we're going to call it. They, they, you do call that the accelerator, but most people call it the gas pedal. But when he took his foot off the accelerator, um, the car began to slowly slow down and stop. Came to a complete stop. He said, I have not touched the brake at one point before this person cut in uh, all uh, yet. I have not, I have not touched the brake. So I I could see that when he was driving, he said, yeah, you have to sort of get used to this because you just lift your foot off and you know, you lift your foot off and then you always cover the brake, right? But with this electric car, he didn't have to cover the brake. The car started to slow down. So, interesting ride. You know, now we had to keep watching instead of the the gas, right? The gas needle from full to E. Think about, doesn't that, I mean, in 10 years, I mean, there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be more electric cars. You know, the revolution is here. That terminology already at this point, just being an electric car one time, the term... Full and empty sound antiquated. They sound like it's from another century. Because now I looked on the dashboard and and he was watching very closely because we were, you know, kind of concerned about how much we drove because you don't want to get stuck. You just see the percentage of your charge. 
So apparently, I guess we didn't even get the car at 100% charge. We got it like 85 or 80. And when we got done, I think we turned it in at, at around in the 20s, right? But you're watching that now. So I don't know how many, you know, miles to the neutron. <laughs> Mile, uh, miles to the watt <laughs> you get. I don't know. All new terminology is going to have to take place here. But it was interesting to see where the where the gas needle is with the F and the E, which sounds like you're in 1820 now. There's just this little number with a percentage, and as you drive, it keeps going down. But that's now the new number. I'm oh, oh you're going to hear as as more electric cars get into the uh, into the into the usage, more people get them. The more you ride in them, you're going to hear people saying, "Oh, I have to go and get a charge." Oh, I'm down to. You're not going to hear. Oh, I'm close to E. Oh, I need more gas. I got you know. There's going to be interesting. It's going to happen very slowly. It's going to it's going to be, or gradually. And it's going to happen almost imperceptibly. You won't even realize it, but you're going to start using all these new terms. You can't use gas pedal. You can't use full and empty anymore. There's going to be a whole new lexicon, a whole new use of slang and jargon that the electric car, when it becomes a mass use product, it still isn't. But when it does, it's going to be interesting to see how we use the new terminology and how quickly that new terminology will come into the culture and we will forget about the term gas pedal. And I guarantee you in 15 years, we'll be making jokes about, remember we'd say the gas pedal? Remember we would say full and empty? Here's a funny thing. Before we got in the car to drive it, we open up the trunk to put our, our bags in. What's in the trunk? In my day, most trunks had a big jack, big heavy jack to lift the car up. If you had a flat tire, that's what you saw in your trunk. There used to be a time when you opened your trunk, it was, it was purely utility. There was a big giant spare tire connected in the middle of the trunk and the bottom there was this 90 pound jack this huge long jack to lift the car up to put that giant tire on it and then you put whatever you needed around that but the the star of the trunk was the flat was the was the was the spare tire and its supporting star was that giant jack. Those things were visible, and you had to work around those. If you had groceries or you had bags or whatever you put in there, you had to work around the big giant spare tire that reminded you every day when you opened that trunk that you had a spare tire in case you had a flat. Guess what was in the trunk of the electric car we had? A big extension cord. <laughs> an electric an electric cord, right? Makes sense. How are you gonna how are you going to charge this car? Once again, I've never used one. I don't know 
what those I've I've gone to parking lots and I've seen them in some parking lots. That's pretty much the only place I've seen the electric car chargers. You know, they they reserve spots in a lot of parking lots for the chargers now, but I've never used one. I don't know. Do they come with an extension cord or do you have to have that extension cord? Plug it in your side and then plug it into the thing. You know, when you go to get gas, you don't bring your own nozzle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the nozzle is on the is on the gas uh, the gas pump. But here, I don't know. At least they they gave either they gave us an extra one or that you need it. I don't know. We never had to charge it, so I don't know. But there it was. It was this big. Extension cord, basically. <laughs> I mean, in my trunk, you know, you have a pair of jumper cables. I don't know. Do you? you I, I don't think you need jumper cables anymore for an electric car. Right? I don't know. But, I mean, we're going to have to go through some, some uh, at least some initial, uh, you know, education. Because it's a whole new technology and everything we're used to. On a on a combustible gas engine, do does not even does not even come close to playing a part here anymore. It was so funny to open up that trunk and see a, a big extension cord in there. <laughs> I thought it was interesting too that where you charge the car is this is is, is they put it now. I don't know if they do this just because they're trying to make the design as less shocking to the average user. So, you know, I don't, once again, I know nothing about cars. Most of our gas tanks now on our gas cars are gas tanks. You're not going to hear that term anymore, right? But most of the gas tanks in the car now are on the driver's side in the back. Now, I don't know where the gas must go in somewhere to get to the engine, right? But some older people may remember that that's, that changed about 20 or 30, maybe 30 years ago, or, or, or maybe even longer than that. But people will remember that the gas tank used to be in the back of the car behind the license plate. Your license, I know I sound like I'm 100 years old here, but, but bear with me. When you used to fill up your car with gas, I know that's going to sound crazy in 10 years, you used to pull down, your, 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 your license plate was on some kind of a you know spring, and you pulled down your license plate, and behind the license plate was the gas tank. And you put the nozzle in there. You pull down the, 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 the license plate and you stuck the nozzle. There was the little cap and the nozzle there. Then all of a sudden they realized, well, this is kind of silly. Uh, the whole design of the car changed, obviously, and they put it on the side. And it's been there for a good 30, 40 years, I would assume. It's been that long, if not longer. But that took some getting used to. But so I guess to, because I, I would assume that you probably could have that little charger in the front of the car. Why not? 
I don't even know why they don't have it there now on a regular car. Once again, I know nothing about cars, so I don't know about the design. Maybe there's a reason why it's in the back as opposed to the front. I don't know. But I just think that they put, for the electric car, I think they could have put that that little charger thing, which looks like a plug, (laughs) the holes, if you will. It looks like a big outlet, like a big electrical outlet. That's basically what it is. It's a big it's a big electrical outlet. But I think I would assume you could put the, you, they could have designed that anywhere in the car, anywhere on the side. But they decided to, I think they decided to put it in the back on the driver's side just because we're used to being where the gas tank is. So once again, we're not getting having to relearn how to do things. We we charge the car the same way that we put in gas. But I guarantee you as time goes on, and the electric car becomes the normal and dominant mode of transportation. I don't think it's going to happen in 2030, but when it does happen, I bet you that charge spot is not going to stay on the, the rear driver's side. I think it's going to be put somewhere else just because. Why, Jim? Because you can. I think initially they don't want to scare people. They want to keep you in your same routine. So they put it in the same spot, but I guarantee you as soon as charging a car becomes as routine as putting gas in a car, you're going to start to see that charge spot, the the holes, if you will, (laughs) be put in a different part of the car just because you can. So we get into the car, smooth ride, quiet ride. No question. As we're driving, my friend is getting more acclimated and used to driving without using the brake. I don't know if this is the way all electric cars are. Once again, we just use this Polestar car. I don't know what it is. I don't know who makes it. I don't know where it's from. Could have been made in somebody's garage. I never heard of Polestar, but they make electric cars. But anyway, at least on this car, he took his foot off the gas. Never touched the brake in a day. Drove several hundred miles. Used the brake one time in an emergency, in a need to to stop the car quickly. But on normal driving, on the highway, stop signs, side streets, main roads, would slow down. All he did was take his foot off the accelerator. Look at that. Look at me. I'm not even saying gas pedal anymore. I'm already changing. And I don't even have an electric car. So he, by the end of our trip, he was enjoying driving the car, even thinking to himself, wow, maybe our next car might be an electric car. He enjoyed the experience so much that he's already thinking about it. Maybe that's why they rented. They're starting to rent these electric cars, not so much um, because of the uh, availability, but because maybe slowly, subliminally, they're trying to get people used to driving them. If you don't go to a dealership to buy one, where else are you going to drive one? Well, rent-a-car places. So if that's the marketing, if that's the marketing um, plan to begin us, once again, weaning us 
off of the gas cars and onto the electric cars, providing the the rent-a-car places with electric cars is a good way to get us to begin to feel comfortable and acclimated to using and driving and understanding the electric car. I mean, you may have a friend and he might let you drive it. He or she may let you drive it. But for the most part, if the, if someone has an electric car, you're going to be the passenger. So you're not going to, you may experience like I did, you may experience the driving in the car, but you don't experience the driving of the car. But if you rent, if you had a rental car and you're, and you're renting it and you're driving it, your name's on it. You're going to get sort of a semi-crash course like my friend did. And he came away being very impressed with the way the car drove. He was a little worried, as I said, which which I think was legit, about the charge because who knows where to start? Who knows where to get a charger? You know, it's not like, I mean, I would assume, I don't know, though. I mean, do most gas stations have a charger somewhere? I don't know. I really, I mean, I'm so oblivious to this because it's not in my... It's not in my radar screen. So I don't pay attention. I see these, in, like I said, in parking lots. Now, what was interesting was when we went to park in Cooperstown to go to the Hall of Fame in our electric car, in this public lot that we went to, they had a line of spots reserved for electric cars with the chargers right next to him. And in fact, my friend was even wondering, because we were still kind of concerned. I mean, you know, we're, you know, the guy said we should be fine driving, but he said, you know, when we left, he said, you know, I wonder if I should have, you know, because we were in there for three or four hours. We were in the, 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 the Hall of Fame for three or four hours. So we would have gotten a nice charge. Now, once again, I don't know how you, I don't know how you pay for that. I don't know what it costs. I have no idea. But he was saying, geez, you know, maybe I should have charged it while we were in the Hall of Fame since there, there was a charger there, these, these parking spaces. We could have charged it and not worried about anything. We didn't, and we were fine. But I think at this point, you know, you really have to be a little more cognizant about how much charge you have left, how far you're going, like my friend was. He was very, uh, you know concerned and aware of, of of where we were going because I don't know if chargers are as abundant as gas stations are, right? And that's my biggest fear is that, you know, we are all hyped up on climate change and environmental aspects and we're trying to push this electric car revolution to happen so fast because we're trying to make up for lost time. The truth of the matter is we're probably 50 years behind. If you really want the truth of it, we're at least, at least, I'm just, and I'm being generous here, we're at least 50 years behind where we should. And that's why we're trying to do this so fast. And, and I'm afraid that we're going we're gonna to get into some many, pardon the pun here, bumps in the road to have this complete transformation and revolution to e-cars. When we, when we really should have seriously begun to experiment 
and devise the technology for electric cars to move away from gas-dependent cars. It should have started in the 70s. In the mid-70s especially. A lot of people don't know this. Richard Nixon, some people don't even know who he is. Some people hate him. Uh, Some people love him, right? That's everybody. For all of Nixon's faults, and there were many, don't get me wrong, but did you know, even though he is criticized for obviously Watergate and, you know, and his failure to, to end the Vietnam War when he, uh, after he had promised in his first term to do it, but he, Nixon, started the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was created during the Nixon administration. In the mid to late 60s, when the whole hippie movement was happening, environmental concerns began to arise. And by the early 70s, along with feminism and other issues, the environment, pollution, litter, industrial, personal, was becoming a a, a hotbed, a big topic, a big issue. Nixon started the EPA in 1972. Most people won't be old enough, but in the mid-70s, gas was so scarce for a certain period of time that there were, that there were lines miles long at gas stations. There were rationing. You couldn't get more than five gallons or something. I was a young kid at the time, but I remember it. I wasn't driving a car. I had no, it didn't impact me at all as I went out in the alley and played wiffle ball. But I remember seeing it on the news and hearing about it and seeing the lines. Right then, all you heard about then was the Middle East stranglehold on the oil market and how subservient and dependent we were in the Middle East. Right then, when there were lines for gas, when there was gas rationing, when people were waiting hours in line, no exaggeration, to buy gas. Can you imagine that? I know that's hard to believe for some people, but that happened during the failed Carter administration. So many things went wrong in the Carter administration. Nice guy, a great post-president, but not a great president at all. Nice guy. Wasn't, wasn't equipped for that job. Smart man, humanitarian, big heart, activist, no question. But that job, he wasn't right for. But that's another topic. But during the 70s, during those long gas embargo and gas shortage times, gas rationing times, as a country, we should have said, wait a minute, we cannot be held hostage like this? I remember being a, a young kid, especially when I, when I was like 15 or 16 and, and started to get my license and drive. And now I was actually, because I said I'm not really big, I don't know a lot about cars, but now I, I was beginning to drive, so it was, there was more about the car was now entering my, my sphere of, of, um, of knowledge. I still don't know how the hell it works. And now that there's electric cars... Maybe I didn't ever need to learn, right? <laughs> I didn't need to waste my time. 
for the last 50 years. That's not true. I, it would have been nice if I learned something about it. But now, like I said, the, the, the car is a computer basically on wheels. And when the electric car gets in, it really is. We might, I mean, you might just have to hit control, alt, delete to, you know, to start the car one of these days. But then we should have begun. And I remember thinking, even at a young age, looking around me saying, wow, you know, there are so many technologies in the world that we have improved on. Over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, right? Television, radio, VCRs were just becoming uh, in. The CDs were on their way. There was, you know, the technology was really starting to take hold. You were hearing about the computer was around. It wasn't. It wasn't as dominant as now. But you heard about computers. So the technical technology revolution was beginning to really impact us in many different areas except the one area that we all depended on, the car. We're still using this basic, at that point, basic, antiquated system of the combustible engine. Now, there's been different changes and enhancements or different modifications than the original, but the basic theory of how it works was still there using gas using gears using you know the combustible engine to move around and i even, i remember saying to myself why are we still using this everything around me seemed to be being upgraded with new technologies but the car still was using the designs were different but the basic structure of the engine, how the thing worked, we were still using the same basic system. Now, the most obvious answer to that question is that at that time, and still to now less to some less degree, but not that much less, the world economy, uh, certainly the United States economy, was based on oil companies. They had a stranglehold on our economy. They, they employed people. They, they, they brought in, they made money. They had a huge lobby in government. And so while the rest of the world and, and ev- almost everything else we touched, appliances in the home, Air conditioning says all this stuff, we, we, technology was pushing forward, but the car stayed the same. And I have to believe it's about the, the grip that the oil companies had on our economy. And only now, when environmental issues have become so prominent in our culture. Have those concerned concerns overridden our dependency on those oil companies or or our acquiescing to those oil companies? But in reality, when we had those gas shortages in the 70s, 
Whether it was the whether it was the oil companies and the car don't forget the oil companies and the car companies were the biggest companies driving our economy. Ford, GM, you know, Standard Oil. I mean, that, that, that's Rockefeller. You know, I mean, that's where these people made their money. They was those were pillars of our of our economy. And today, the pillars of our economy are Apple. They're tech companies. They're not these big industrial conglomerates but they were then but sadly if we were really smart we would have seen the true problem the dependency on the middle east for this oil and 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 you hear about stories about how the 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 car companies there were inventors out there that were inventing alternate technologies for cars like electric or even water there's there was some thought about water but the car companies were so strong that they quashed those inventors. And the oil companies were so strong. So they were both together, they each depended on one another. And their power and in in their influence in the government kept the technological advances from completely revolutionizing the automotive industry. That's happening now, but it's 50 years too late. If we would have been serious, if we would have seen what, what we were waiting in these lines back in the 70s, I guarantee you, given you, you know, American ingenuity, and as I said before, our ability to set a date and set a goal and reach it, I bet you by 1985... We would have had electric cars on the road in some way, just like in the infancy now. And by 1990, and certainly by, say, 1995, we probably would have had, a at this point, an electric, a dominant electric car society. But that would have been 20 years of development. We're trying to do it now so quickly. But we should have been doing it back in the 70s. So as I said, we're like 50 years behind even getting started. But even, let's say, if, if, if my timeline makes any sense, even if it was 1995, we're still 20 years behind the ball. If in 1995, we had started in 75 in developing the car, by 95 it could have been, the electric car could have been dominant, and say that would have been our, our, our dominant uh, mode of transportation aside from the gas car. They would have been gone by 1995. That's 20 years ago. That's thir- what am I saying? That's 30 years ago. So we're 30 years behind the ball. Everything. I, 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 it's so hard for me to believe that, that 2000 now is 25 years ago. <laughs> I can't get that in my head. It's unbelievable. So we're we're at least 30 years behind the ball. But in terms of the actual development and the serious talk about it, should have been done 50 years ago. So we're trying to wipe out wipe out 50 years of lollygagging in 10 or 15. And that's what scares me. A lot of people love to be early adapters. Or I'm sorry, early adopters. 
of new technologies, right? You know somebody that gets the newest thing. They've got the, they have the, you know, they, they, they had the first, uh, you know, HD TV. They had the first uh, smartphone. They had the, the first DVD player. You know, they, they always got the new thing, right? You know those people. Those are the early adopters. And I would say right now, even though it's moving quickly, I would still, if you buy an electric car, you're still in the minority, right? I would still say you're in the early adopters stage. And if you are in the early adopter stage, you have to understand and make allowances for the fact that it's not going to be perfect. The technology world especially, unlike other manufacturing companies, the tech world, and I've talked about this in the past, I worked in the tech world, so I know this, their modus operandi, the way they do business, they don't, they don't release most of their products fully baked, meaning that they are 100% ready to go when they hit the marketplace. Tech companies have always put out products and, and see how they work. They've tested them to a certain level. I'm not sure what the threshold is. But then they put them, they, then they release them. And then people start using them, and then some quirks start to show up. Some problems start to show up in the software or in the, 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 the way the thing works. And then they provide a fix. That's what the word is. They will provide a fix, a software fix to take care of that. And, you know, if you're working with a computer, you lose a document or something, or you're losing a cell phone, you know, you can't get through an app or the download is slow, whatever it may be. You know, yeah, it, it could be a pain, but it's not, it's not apocalyptic. It's not catastrophic. But my concern about pushing and rushing the, the e-car revolution too fast, trying to make up for lost time, is that we're, we're pushing the use of the car before we have this, the, the, the technology perfected and, more importantly, the infrastructure and the support system for those cars to work correctly and efficiently. I don't think there's any question that the electric car is more efficient, more uh, environmentally safe. I drove in one. I heard it. It's a great ride. It's a smooth ride. There's a lot of advantages of the electric car. It's probably an overall better designed system than the combustible engine. It's better. But it also needs a supporting infrastructure to make it a better mode of transportation in reality. What do I mean by that? Right now, if you drive your car, almost every corner has a gas station, right? Now, with this electric car, you have to charge it. It doesn't take five seconds. You go to a gas station, and it takes you, and you feel, I mean, think about how we get at a gas station, you have to fill your tank up. And it may take five minutes. And we are standing next to that nozzle like it's taking a year. Oh, my God. When is this going to be done? To charge an electric car, it takes hours. 
to get a full, if you want a full charge, even at one of these charging stations that have a, have a, a quicker charge to them. Or to charge your car, you have to, for the most convenience, you have to put a charger in your garage, which can't be cheap. It's going to raise your electric bill, right? True, you won't have a gas bill now when you won't have a, a bill to go when you buy gas. But my point is your, your electric bill is going to go up. And you have to install this charger, which is going to cost money. I would assume that to, to put one of these chargers to, to, in your garage and hook it up to your electrical line, it's got to cost five grand. It's got to. I don't think I, I have no idea, but I would say it's got to cost at least five grand to do that. And, if, and and so once again, you can't just you know how you used to go on a oh we're going to pull in here, go to the bathroom and get and fill up the tank and keep going on our trip. Not anymore. If you have to if you have to charge your car when you're on the road, it's going to take a while. You can't just stop and go. You have to think ahead now when you're going to charge your car. It takes hours, not minutes. That's a whole different mindset and lifestyle and routine you have to start to get used to. Or you're going to see a lot of cars on the road who ran out of a charge. I guarantee you, the more electric cars become used, you're going to see a lot more people on the side of the road. Which leads to my second second point. Are we really ready? Do we have enough chargers out in the world, out across the country, to fully support this radical, quick, massive transformation to electric cars that will need those charges. Do we have? Are we? Do we have the infrastructure set up? Do we have a plan to put all these chargers around the country as we do now? I don't know, but we better. Because it's going to take people a while to get used to not being able to just pull in and fill up and go. That convenience is gone. It will take you hours to get a full charge. And you need to be able to get to the charger. Right now, yes, gas stations are plentiful. If you drive past one, hopefully there's another one a couple miles away. I don't know if that's the case with these chargers. Do we have that many chargers? Are they that accessible? Are there that many so that people won't be constantly? And, and, and here's the other question. I have no idea. Now, okay, your car runs out of gas. So what do you do? You have a gas can and you walk to the gas station you fill you and you buy five worth five you know five gallons and you put in the car and it works if your car dies out on the highway somewhere because your charge is up your electrical charge is up not only do you have to try to find a charger but how do you get your car there you're going to need one long extension cord so i don't know do you so now do we have a a battery charger in our car like the gas tank we have in case we run out of gas? I don't know. I'm just throwing these scenarios out there. 
I think it's very tempting. The, the prices are going down on these electric cars. I understand. We want to get this. You know, we're all buzzwords with 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 um, climate change. Okay, fine. We we want these electric car revolution to happen now, but there's going to be there's going to be a learning curve, and there's going to be an infrastructure and support system curve. Here's another one. Our electrical grid in this country overall is old, outdated, and very fragile. How many times in your neighborhood, when it's a windy day, do you, do you lose your power? Well, I would assume, once again, I might be ignorant on this. I'm just throwing this out here. If you put one of those chargers in your garage, I assume it's connected to your electrical line, the same line that delivers electricity to your house. So if the electricity to your house goes out, then that means your car charger goes out, right? What do you do then? What if you were being very diligent? And you said, well, I got to put my car on my car. My car is at 2%. So I got to charge my car. Overnight, very good for you. Sometime overnight, a storm came through and knocked out your electricity. Now what? How do you charge your car? Is your car immobile? Is it unusable? Sometimes electricity is out for 12 hours. About a couple of years ago, our electricity was out for five days here. We actually used our car. <laughs> this is how crazy it was. We used our car to juice up our, our cell phones. We used the charger in the car to charge our cell phones. We had no electricity. How could we charge our cell phones? So we had to go in our car, start the car for a half hour, and plug in the charger to the car and at least boost our charge on our phone somewhat. Well, that car, if, 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 if your electric car charger gets knocked out by, a, by a, a, an electrical outage, your car is, is, is immobile until that electric gets back on. And we know how outdated and old and fragile our electrical grid is in this country. Have we planned for that? Another scenario, same concept. So now I'm driving along. Apparently, from what my friend who was driving the car had said, that if you are planning a trip, uh, you can get through the computer on the car or somewhere. You can, you can, they can guide your with the GPS your your trip. So you, they will, they can take you on a route where there are these chargers. So that hey, you know, got a hundred miles to go on your charge, but don't worry, there's a charger over here and we'll take in you that way. Okay, sounds fantastic. GPS, one of the greatest inventions that was ever made, no question. What if, as you're driving to this location where this charger is, what if there's a storm there that happened in the last 20 minutes before you got there? and knocked out the electricity. 
especially in rural areas where a lot of times when you're on the road, that's where you're getting your fill up at Oasis or at these out of the way gas stations, right? And what if that's the only charger within a hundred miles? Now what do I do? No one's planning on this, this charger in Jonesville to be out, but Jonesville lost its electricity for some reason. There was a storm. There was something that happened. You pull in and they say, sorry, our charger doesn't work. Yeah, but I'm at 2%. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't know what to tell you. Are there going to be you know, tow trucks that instead of having jumper cables will now have uh, you know, mobile chargers? I don't know, but my point is I hope these questions are being asked, and I hope there's answers to them. I'm, I'm no great thinker here, but I've just created a couple of scenarios that are very real that really can happen, and I don't know if the average electric car owner is thinking about those, those scenarios, and if, and if our infrastructure is set up right now to solve those problems I just brought up. I think those are real-life scenarios that can really happen. And if you just have an electric car, then what do you do? So I think before we see on television all these commercials for electric cars, that's great. But before you build the cars, before you sell all these cars and get people all excited, it's the new technology, you better have the infrastructure and the support system already out there so that this car can truly be more efficient, so it can truly be a better and enhanced driving experience. But not just within the car itself, but outside of the way for it to work with these chargers, an abundance of chargers, backup chargers. Like I said, I don't know. If you, if you put one of these chargers in your garage, then do you also have to have a generator in case you lose your, your, your electricity or solar panels? I don't know. But if you have to have a generator plus the charger, then that's probably ten grand. So, you know... There's, there's a lot of, 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 of related issues. It's not just about how cool the car is. Remember a few years ago, 10 years ago or so, everybody had a Humvee. It was a status symbol. You had to have a Humvee, this big, giant, army-grade SUV. Those things had huge wheels, and people drove around. You had, you had soccer moms driving Humvees. It was ridiculous. But everybody, you know, everybody had to have a Humvee until they realized that they got three, $3 to a gallon when gas prices started to go up. And also, from the environmental standpoint, that those things were, were blowing out so much emissions that quickly, between the gas prices and the environmental impacts, Humvees went from being the most popular car to being almost gone. You might see a few here and there. 
And that's my fear about the e-car right now. It definitely is the car of the future. There's no question about it. But we can't just throw it out there. We don't even, what do you do with an old e-car? Can you get rid of, uh, can you get rid of the battery environmentally safe? I don't know. But there's going to be a secondary market, and e-cars are certainly going to have to be trashed and dumped. What do you do with those batteries? We already talk about how batteries, like bad little Duracell batteries, have to be, have to be, you know, uh, disposed of in a certain way. What, what, what's, what's, what's a electric car battery going to need? How is that going to be disposed? We're talking about the environment. Let's talk about that, the aftermarket, when the car is no longer gone. How do we dispose of the car? Have we thought about that? Once again, I'm not trying to, to pop the, ba- the balloon here. But if we're going to do this, we're going to have a whole revolution. If we're going to change the way we drive, the most dominant thing in our lives, one of our most, aside from your house, it's probably your most expensive commodity and we're going to change the way we drive and and, and, and our whole society is 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 about transportation (laughs) have we thought about all these scenarios and other ones that i haven't thought about i'm just thinking about this casually and a few things pop up which seem to be real issues so look i'm all for technology I'm all for doing things more efficiently and better. That's what we're about. But I'm afraid that we're, we're moving too fast. We're trying to make up for past you know, you know, problems, and, and, and we're trying to, to move things before they're ready. This has to be baked because lives are at stake. It's not about losing a document or not getting some video downloaded fast enough that your technology doesn't work. What happens? I don't know. Can an electric car freeze like a computer? Can it stop all of a sudden in the middle of the road? I don't know. Can it? I hope not. We have, you cannot use that usual technology industry uh, viewpoint of putting this technology out into the world and then see how it works and then providing a fix because when it comes to a car lives are at the balance lives are at risk not losing a document not getting your video that doesn't download quick enough that may seem catastrophic but it isn't life-threatening but if this electric car is not fully baked as a technology, both as an individual commodity and its support system around it to make it work, then you're creating more problems than you're trying to solve. So I'm just saying, even though you might not use it as much, I know we're excited. I know we want to move forward. I knew we, we've got uh, environmental issues and we're looking for a cool technology. We're looking for status symbols and all that cool stuff that goes along with something new. But let's make sure that we're ready 
because the car is such a major part of our daily lives and our culture. We can't rush this. We have to get this one right. You may not need it as much in an electric car, but I just hope we put the brakes on until we're really ready for the e-car revolution. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends and tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 378. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.